show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises to manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group with your hosts, Tim Grady and the wife. Hey, guys. Welcome, everyone, to hey, Manufacturing Tim. Talk Radio. Lou, how are you? You're off in, in Rio de Janeiro today. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And I'm back. Uh... This is the first time we're doing really a, a long-distance uh, show. I hope everybody can hear me. Uh, I am at the Rio Oil and Gas Show along with 1,500 uh, exhibitors, and they claim they will have 35,000 attendees by uh, Thursday. So it's pretty crowded. It's pretty exciting, and I'm glad to be here. So what are you doing down uh, in lovely Rio, Lou? Well, let me go backwards a minute. Uh, for our, our postscript of last week's show, we had uh, Dan Mertzoff of NAPOT, the Manufacturing Alliance Productivity and Innovation Association. And uh, we, he's the chief economist, and he gave us some great information regarding uh, global stats, the U.S. stats on business and the growth of business, and everything is just looking cheery and upward, and I would highly recommend uh, anybody who's interested at that high level of uh, economics of the, of the globe to go to our last week's show and uh, tune into that. As far as my being down here in uh, Rio, uh, we are uh, open, we opened up a new market about a year, a year and a half ago, uh, selling to South America and primarily looking to uh, selling into the oil and gas industry down in Brazil, which is very active. And uh, so we're here at the show, and uh, we're, uh, like I said uh, a moment ago, we're peddling our, our wares to uh, manufacturers down here in Brazil and the rest of South America. There's approximately 1,500 exhibitors here. They claim that they're going to have 35,000 attendees by, the, by Thursday, which is the end of the show. Uh, they have five full pavilions uh, of exhibitors, and it's uh, really quite quite exciting. And uh, actually, that's kind of a segue into the show, Tim, and so I'm going to let you talk about that. Well, we are excited that you're down there, Lou, uh, trying to uh, move forgings for All Metals and Forge Group. As you know, All Metals and Forge Group is the sponsor for Manufacturing Talk Radio. And one of the ways that American manufacturers can sell products overseas is by using something called the XM Bank. And we're privileged today to have an expert from the National Association of Manufacturers. Her name is Linda Mangetti Dempsey. She's the Vice President of International Economic Affairs for NAM. She leads NAM efforts to improve the global competitiveness of manufacturers in the United States by advocating for international, uh, sorry, intellectual property protection, increased export financing, and the elimination of trade barriers. And today we're going to address this thing that you've seen in the news about the reauthorization of the XM Bank. 
Before we get into that, welcome, Linda. And can you explain to us what is NAM, Linda? Thanks, Tim. Happy to be uh, with you and Lou here today. Um, the NAM is the largest industrial association in the United States. We represent over 12,000 companies uh, that manufacture here in the United States. Uh, most of them, as, as you know, are, are small manufacturers um, struggling to, to grow manufacturing, uh, and that is our passion. Oh, it's, uh, it's certainly going to be helpful, I think, for for the small and mid-sized manufacturer to understand a couple of things that we've talked about on the show. One is working with the Small Business Administration for loans. One's working with the trade desks of the Commerce Department to help you find perhaps agents and customers overseas. And then the third thing is this XM Bank. Uh, Linda, can you explain to our audience what the XM Bank is and what it does? Certainly. The Exim Bank is an independent government agency um, that provides a number of different services, starting with export financing, including direct loans. It provides loan guarantees. So when you're selling overseas, you you make sure that, that your buyer overseas is, is paying you. It provides uh, working capital uh, so you can make those big production orders when you get that big overseas sale, which is really critical to a lot of the small and medium-sized companies. And it provides credit insurance um overseas as well uh, if there's non-payment because of political reasons, things like that. Um, XM operates uh, very interestingly with no taxpayer dollars. It's, it's completely funded um, by the, the fees that companies pay for each of these services. And if a loan is involved, then, you know, obviously interest is paid on the loan. That's uh, certainly unusual so for me- the federal government. Go ahead, Luke. So let me ask you, Linda, I'm down here, and let's say uh, we negotiate a contract for half a million dollars, and my my customer doesn't uh, have the cash to lay up for a deposit or to make us feel warm and fuzzy in terms of credit. Uh, how would I go about going to XM and saying, Mr. XM, uh, I need a half a million dollars? Can you help me? <laughs> Actually, it's, it's pretty easy. I, I, I can give you the phone number right now if you'd like, if you've got some of those folks uh, down That'd be at the great. trade show. Um, but really, you basically, any, any, US, any company that is producing in the United States that is seeking export opportunities, um, you fill out, you, you know, first you call XM and you make sure you, you're applying for the right type of program that, that's going to work, you know, whether it's a direct loan or a loan guarantee that needs to be made, uh, or maybe you just need credit insurance. Um, you fill out uh, uh, some paperwork, absolutely, and they want to do a due diligence um, like any uh, financial institution would. Uh, but it's really open to any company that, that wants to export out of the United States. What is the uh, time frame to do this? Because I, I know dealing with certain government agencies, things can take, uh, take a bit of time. Look, every uh, every transaction is different, but I will say that our manufacturers, um, you know, small, medium, and large, have found XM to be uh, very responsive. Uh, folks get back to you right away. The the process continues. There's always someone you can call over there uh, to move it along. Now, look, everybody's got to do the due diligence that they need to in terms of. Uh, 
what's being offered out there. Um, you know, we all have accounting processes yeah. and, and those types of things. But it, it you know, it, it really depends right. on how quickly the deal is moving. But Exxon works really hard. Um, you know, they like you talked about the Small Business Administration, talked about the the work that the Commerce Department does. You know, they're another tool for U.S. exporters when they're trying to win deals overseas. And you know, one of the things we've seen is you know a lot of other countries have a lot bigger export credit agencies um, that are working night and day to sell products made overseas, um, and we want to win those sales. And, and XM um, uh, takes its mission very seriously and, you know, talks to those foreign customers if need be and, and really uh, steps up to get the, the paperwork done. So, Linda, in the so if I'm fortunate... I'm sorry, Tim. So if I'm fortunate enough this afternoon to get that half a million dollar job, uh, Linda, what's that phone number you were going to give me? <laughs> Let me pull that up for you while we're talking here. <laughs> uh, Linda, while you're pulling that up, I know the XM Bank has been in the news quite frequently, and there's been this discussion about reauthorization. So maybe you can explain to our listeners what reauthorization or even authorization is and what this now talking about a short-term extension means to U.S. exporters and manufacturers? Sure. Um, XM, while it does not rely uh, on taxpayer dollars, it's a self-sustaining government agency because of those that, those fees and interest it takes in, um, it does need to be authorized by the U.S. government, and the current authorization ends uh, at the end of September with the fiscal year of the United States that's included in, in, in the budget and um, uh, authorizations of, of the United States government. Um, if Exim is not reauthorized by September uh, 30th, uh, 2014, then, you know, new new filings, uh, you know, lose new deal is, is probably not going to be able to be financed because it's going to take a little time to get that done. Other deals that aren't yet completed are um, uh, going to be put on hold. You know, the loss really is um, the demand for products overseas is growing. You know, in, in 2012, the last year we have all countries' data, you know, there were $11 trillion in manufactured goods being traded outside U.S. borders. So that's an $11 trillion market that our manufacturers would sure like to get a, a better part of. So those sales are going to be made, but if Exim Bank can't keep its operations going, um, then foreign manufacturers are going to win those jobs. Uh, those products are going to be manufactured overseas. And, Lou, here's that number for you. Got a pencil? Uh, terrific, and I hope our listeners uh, have their pencils and paper ready also. Sure. It's 1-800-565-3946. And you can also take a look at the Exim Bank website, www.exim.gov. Very good. Very good. Uh, Linda, I, I heard that referencing the loss of sales as a result of the fact that Exim Bank may not be reauthorized. I heard a number, and I, I don't know if it's a good, real number or a good number, but I heard something like there could be 400,000 jobs lost as a result of XM not being uh, reinstated. 
Is that well, you know, that that number is certainly in the ballpark. Um, no one is going to know exactly until we lose those jobs. And so we are doing everything here in, in Washington and, and working with um, our member companies throughout the United States to um, get XM reauthorized. But let me just give you, you know, last year's number. Last year, XM supported $37 billion in U.S. exports overseas. And those exports directly supported over 200,000 jobs, right, just in one year wow. alone. And that's just the direct uh, ex- jobs that they supported. We all know, you know, most of the XM's transactions involve small businesses. Um, over 2,000 small right. businesses used XM in, in 2013. 600 were first-time users, which is great to see because we want to see our manufacturers uh, win those uh, sales overseas and, and start exporting. It's a, it's a real source of, of growth for manufacturers here in the United States. Um, but some of those companies that use XM are, are obviously larger. They sell big capital equipment, a, you know, a, a tractor, an, an airplane, a bulldozer, something like that. Those companies, they directly support jobs in the United States, but they also have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of, of suppliers. And so the, the loss of, um, you know, XM's operations not only affects, you know, say those 200,000 workers directly, uh, it support, there, there's a big uh, knock-on effect um, in a very negative way for all those suppliers out there as well. We're, um, we're doing everything we can to prevent that. We're, what we'd really like to see is a long-term reauthorization of Exim Bank's operations. Um, you're down uh, there in Brazil, and, and you can tell me, but you know what we hear from uh, companies um, is their customers want certainty. Their customers want reliability. They don't want to know, you sure. know. They don't want to worry about whether XM is going to be uh, there a year from now or two years from now. And so uh, the NAM and, and our colleagues here are, are fighting for a multi-year reauthorization um, going forward. But it's uh, it's a bit of an uphill climb. So, Linda, I'm kind of curious who. who I'm sorry, Tim. We're stepping on each other, and that's because we're not in the studio. Let me just throw in one last question. Uh, regarding the approval of XM, who, who is in charge of that? Congress, <laughs> first and foremost. So, uh, you know, in, in the normal order of things, we would expect the Senate Banking Committee, the House Financial Services Committee, to report out reauthorization bills and move them forward, you know, have the House and Senate pass the same bill and send it to the president, be enacted into law. Um, the process got bottled up this year. Um, frankly, the chairman of the House uh, Financial Services Committee, uh, Chairman Henserling, has made um, you know it very clear uh, and very publicly that he wants to end Exim Bank's authorization. And so he he has not moved legislation forward, and we have not yet seen um, uh, until the recent continuing resolution um, uh, any movement really in the House. In the Senate, the Senate Banking Committee. Um, there was a bill introduced at the end of July on a bipartisan basis uh, by Senators Kirk and Manchin and others, and um, but that that is uh, not appearing to move uh, very quickly this September. So what we're looking at is potentially a short-term reauthorization with a continuing resolution that the House may vote on as soon as tomorrow. Um, but the the uh, work we need to do on a longer-term, multi-year reauthorization is has been put on hold. 
So, Linda, here we have an agency of the federal government that's not costing the taxpayer any money, may actually be contributing a few shekels to the bottom line, not to mention hundreds of thousands of jobs, and somebody in Congress wants to kill it? What's the problem? <laughs> that's a great question, Tim, and I wish I could answer that. But let me, <laughs> let me, uh, let me tell you what, what, uh, what, what we're hearing. I mean, there is a, a small group um, of members, um, you know, led by Chairman Henserling in the House, that uh, seem to believe that somehow the Exim Bank is contrary to good market principles, contrary, you know, somehow a corporate welfare type of deal, and for that reason it should be killed. Um, you just laid out the facts. It is a self-sustaining agency. It doesn't actually rely on taxpayer dollars. It, it's built up, by the way, a really big loan loss reserve account in case there's any default of, you know, a major customer overseas. Um and, and it's done all that with its own funding, not with taxpayer dollars. And, and it sends money back to the Treasury in the last few years. And, and you know, so it has, has really been a win-win. Um, you know, there, there are ideological views that we sometimes hear inside the Beltway. <laughs> um, uh, but from our perspective... You're, you're being very kind. <laughs> um, you're being very kind. <laughs> I have to be. I live inside the Beltway. <laughs> but, you know, certainly right. what we're trying to do and what um, we're talking to all manufacturers out there that, that use XM or that think they might want to export, um, and, and this is such a valuable tool, to talk about the real world, right? Manufacturers in the United States, I, I put our manufacturers against anybody in the world. Our products are great. Our quality is superior. Um, we have, you know, the most productive, high-class uh, technology, you know, whether it's a small company of, of four employees to, to, a, to a large one. We could compete everywhere if there's a level playing field, but there's not. Uh, NAM put out a report at the end of July um, using uh, data that had been gather gathered, and we found that just the nine largest foreign export credit agencies, so, you know, China and Germany and France and countries like that, last year they spent nearly half a trillion dollars just in export financing compared to the $37 billion that XM spent. So China wow. alone... At a minimum, because not all of China's numbers are, are actually out there in a very transparent way, but at a minimum, what China was spending last year was five times larger than what Exim Bank is funding. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk, you know, about, you know, the United States would be unilaterally disarming itself in a very tough marketplace overseas um, if, we, if, if we don't continue the Exim Bank. Linda, we're going to take a short commercial break. We'll be back in about 60 seconds, but I want to continue on this because clearly uh, what the United States is doing at $37 billion is kind of a, a gnat on an elephant's hide. Um, and I, I want to really have the, the manufacturers in the United States understand that this is a great opportunity for them to open up a brand new revenue stream that they may not have today. So let's let's take a quick commercial break and then come back to discuss that. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, 
and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. So we are back, Linda, and and let's uh, let's talk for a moment about you know the twelve thousand manufacturers that NAM represents and the opportunity for them to sell their goods overseas. It seems to me that XM Bank is is a big tool for them to use. Is that right? XM Bank is a critical tool, um, you know, particularly in some areas. Now, there, you know, some companies are able to get financing from their local bank. If, if you're selling a commercial product to to Europe, that's pretty easy. If you're trying to sell um, to an emerging market, uh, mm-hmm. if you're trying to sell to, to most places in Africa, if you're pl- trying to sell even to, frankly, you know, Brazil and, and other countries like that, you know, oftentimes local banks don't have the expertise in-house, and they're just not able to provide the type of financing. Export financing also comes with other special rules attached to it, rules that have um, increased and been made more complicated in in recent years, Um, and that makes it very difficult for uh, a, a traditional commercial private bank to provide these types of export financing. Um, a few of the areas where XM financing has been most critical, um, you know, let me start with the most obvious one, which is small businesses. Um, really where um, the working capital guarantee program that XM provides uh, is, is really not available on a commercial basis, but it allows a small business exporter who may get that, you know, half a million dollar order, which doubles its current production here in the United States, um, but needs to have that working capital to actually produce it before they actually get that product overseas. Um, We also have cases where companies are selling into longer-term project finance. In in Brazil, Lou, you've probably seen it while you're there, lots of cranes. There's a lot of infrastructure development going on overseas. It's a huge opportunity for manufacturers in a full range of of different industries um, to really uh, export overseas. But these are oftentimes longer-term deals, and those are type of deals where the commercial market doesn't really have the financing tools for these multi-year deals going forward. And then the last example I would cite is uh, a lot of countries overseas, uh, there's a lot more state capitalism. And so the government owns, um, in many countries, for instance, hospitals. And so when that hospital overseas is trying to purchase new medical equipment, it expects the government to be on the other side of the table. And so there are a lot of cases, actually, where XM is in the room 
as the arm of the U.S. government, but it doesn't ultimately even finance the deal. But when you're selling to a foreign state-owned hospital or other sort of state-owned entity, having XM at the table with you is absolutely critical. That is, Let uh, me ask you this, Linda, not to, not to put any words in your mouth. Uh, is there anything that our, uh, our listeners can do to help with Congress? Absolutely. To get the message um, out that they, you know, you give us some uh, insight on that. Sure. You know, the, the most effective thing that we have seen and, and I've seen in, in lots of uh, debates here in Washington through the years is for members of Congress to speak to and hear directly from their local constituents. And we've been um, gathering stories um, throughout the year on the wide variety of manufacturers that use XM Bank and how important it is. And, you know, I, I could talk about some specific companies if that would help. But it's sharing those stories. It's trying to see your local congressman or senator when he or she is back in the state, or at least calling the district office, writing a letter to the editor and saying, you know, I run a wallpaper company, and I added 100 employees in the last two years because of the help that Exim Bank gave me and the new export markets I have, and I want to continue to be able to do that. That's a real story out of Pennsylvania. Those sorts of stories are really what has changed the debate in Washington. Uh, when we started working on this, um, frankly, last winter, um, there were a lot of members who'd never voted on it, who'd never really thought much about Exim Bank, and it's a pretty technical issue. And, you know, we got lots of questions. You know, why isn't the private sector doing this? Well, in, in these cases, the private sector is not doing this. This is a real market gap. Aren't we advantaging some companies over others? And the answer to that is, is flatly no. Our, um, you know, the demand is, is, is going overseas. The real question with XM Bank is, you know, are you going to vote for products to be made here in the United States with workers in the United States or let our foreign competitors win those sales? Linda, I want to. I would like to yeah, share with our listeners a couple of stories because when you and I were speaking on the phone earlier in the week, you mentioned, of all things, and I know some manufacturers are thinking, well, well, we're just not big enough. You mentioned a pickle manufacturer. Tell us a story about a pickle manufacturer and a wallpaper company. <laughs> well, I, I wish you had Miss Jenny here because she can tell the story better than anyone. But but Jenny's Pickles is um, a very small pickle manufacturer out of um, North Carolina, I believe. And um, they really were able to use XM Bank to sell pickles overseas, right? Um, that is that is just an, an incredible uh, story. We've got, you know, Price Pump, a pump manufacturer out of California with 28 employees who was able to add jobs because of exporting overseas. The wallpaper company in, in Wayne, Pennsylvania, right near where I grew up, uh, WallQuest, uh, was able to add 100 employees since it started using Exxon Bank in, in 2008. Um, We've got BLS Enterprises, a 12-employee company in Bensonville, Illinois, um, that makes uh, certain materials for construction equipment that's used Exim Bank and is growing because of Exim Bank. And these stories are, are really – they help change the debate. 
So those who want to talk about ideology and, 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 and free markets, um, but then they hear the stories about these companies. And when you talk to the companies, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, yeah, I went to my local bank, and my local bank said, no, I can't give you that type of financing. I'm not going to do it. It's, I, I don't have anybody who can do a due diligence in Nigeria. We're not experienced in that part of the world. We don't do a working capital program for products that are going to be exported overseas because, hey, that's our collateral, and then you're shipping it overseas. And, and the stories continue, but that's, that's really, um, you know, very persuasive. But I think the other point uh, you were making was companies that are selling just within the United States really can think about working overseas and starting to export overseas. At the top of the hour, you talked about the, the resources at the Small Business Administration, the, the Trade Desk at the Commerce Department, XM Bank. We have a lot of different resources in, in the U.S. government. The NAM works very closely with all these agencies and, and tries to, to make sure our manufacturers know where to go when they want to export. Um, we have uh, reached the highest level ever of U.S. manufactured goods exports last year in 2013, over $1.3 trillion in exports, which is great. But in the last 20 years, our market share has fallen. We are, are um, seeing a lot of new competition out of you know, China, of course, but you know Germany and, and parts of Europe, other parts of the world. There is a vast market for U.S. manufactured goods. And when we go overseas and you hear from customers, they love the quality. They love that made-in-the-USA um, type of product. So the opportunities are there. The resources are there. Um, and so we, we hope there's a lot more companies uh, seeking to use Exim Bank services. Uh, I'd like to just make one comment. Uh, I'd like to make one comment, Linda. I, I think that a part of the problem that exists uh, in, the, in the U.S. market is that I think that companies, particularly the small companies and maybe to some degree the medium-sized companies, they're afraid of export. Uh, they're not accustomed to it. We, we were never an exporting company of any great degree. Meanwhile, the rest of the world has been exporting for thousands. I, you know, that is certainly true. The United States both the world's largest market, right? Everybody wants to sell into the U.S. market um, for obvious reasons. But given, you know, given the recession, given the growth we're all trying to attain um, and, and rebound from, from uh, the 2007-2008 period, um, exporting really is increasingly becoming an imperative for, for companies that want to grow. I mean, in some sense, we are exporting. We're exporting from Pennsylvania to Texas. We're exporting from North Carolina to Hawaii. But you know, it's a lot easier between our various states. We don't have all the rules. And, and I, you know, I, I don't try to kid anybody. There are, are rules to follow. There's due diligence that needs to be um, done. I, if you've got uh, intellectual property that, you know, patents and other things that you want to care about, your brand name, there's steps you need to take. But there are resources um, that, you know, we, we provide, that we work with the U.S. government and others to provide to really help uh, figure out what it is you need to do mechanically to export overseas, 
Um, you know, are there resources overseas in these countries? You know, each of our embassies have uh, commercial officers from the, the Commerce Department as well as economic officers from the State Department ready to help U.S. companies seeking to export overseas. And when, you know, I talk to the, 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 the small members of NAM that have been exporting, their stories are really phenomenal. I mean, we have companies who have increased sales by 100 or 200 percent in the last few years, all because of exporting. And exporting provides that cushion when the U.S. market goes down. Mm-hmm. And it really, um, you know, uh, there was a, a, a great story from a small family-owned company out in Ohio that, um, I'll just say, it makes a you know big capital equipment uh, that it sells overseas. And I was at an event out there, and and the owner of the company, and had been in her family for, for since it began, said, you know, I am so proud that despite the recession, I didn't have to lay off one of my workers because they're all like family to us. And the reason I was able to keep all of our employees and now even start to think about growing them is because we export overseas. Wow. That's really powerful. And and I really want our listeners to pay attention to something that Linda's bringing out here. I have a copy of a page from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in my hand, Wednesday, September 10th, and it quotes Chairman... Tensorling saying in a recent statement said the bank provides foreign corporate welfare that advantages a handful of powerful politically connected corporations and I have to caution our listeners that that, I don't think that statement's accurate. Based on what I'm hearing in this interview, there are a lot of small companies who use the XM Bank to grow their business, to, to add jobs to the workforce, to bring people back to the employment sector Gosh, I'm stunned to even read that statement. Uh, You're exactly right. (laughs) Well, you know, we're trying to get the facts out because sometimes, you know, sound bites uh, are what wins the day. Uh, We're all down to just a few characters that uh, that get reported out on on Twitter every day. But you know, let's just put that into perspective. Um, you know, over the past seven years, you know, there's been 8,000 companies that have used Exim Bank services. More than 5,000 of those companies are small businesses, small businesses with no special connection to Washington. You know, you don't need to hire anyone in Washington or be a Washington insider. Uh, remember that number I, I gave you all uh, before, and I'll give it out again, 1-800-565-3946. You know, any U.S. exporter can call up XM and, and, and apply for one of the types of services that it, it provides. XM has really been on a mission to grow its small business portfolio, and I think, um, you know, over 600 uh, small businesses last year, we counted, were first-time XM Bank users. And that's a testament to, you know, a pretty small staff here in, in Washington, D.C., um, but that's really trying to go out and, and help change that mentality you, you all talked about that, you know, many companies just think about selling, you know, across the street or, you know, to a state next door and aren't thinking about um, exporting um, even to Canada or Mexico, let alone a Europe or a Brazil or a China or an India. Well, when we come back from a quick commercial break, Linda, I want to talk about some of the other things that you do with the National Association of Manufacturers. 
Uh, I will kind of give a plug to our radio show. You say sound bites win the day, and you're exactly correct. And that's exactly what Manufacturing Talk Radio's uphill battle is, is to not be a sound bite station, but to get the facts out there for manufacturing to have in their hands. So we'll take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to come back and talk with uh, Linda Dempsey about the other things she does with NAM. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. S&H Rubber is a manufacturing company in Fullerton, California. We specialize in custom molded, extruded, and stamped rubber parts. If your next job requires a rubber part, we would appreciate the opportunity to quote on it. We serve aerospace, automotive, and many other industries. We work with many types of rubber, including silicone, EPDM, neoprene, uninitrile, and Viton. Our quality system is ISO and AS9100 approved. Over our 47 years in business, the SNH brand has become known for superior quality, quick turnaround, and competitive pricing. Please check out our website at www.shrubber.com or call 714-525-0277. Let SNH be your ceiling solution. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. And we're back with Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady, and one thing I want to touch on before we begin speaking again with Linda Dempsey is Manufacturing Day, which is October 3rd. This is a day when manufacturers across America are opening up their facilities or having special events for family or friends or certainly students in the area from high school or colleges to come in and actually look at manufacturing operations. We know that there's a perception across America that manufacturing is the old uh, coal miner, uh, blue-collar, drive a bolt on a stud all day long, a dirty shop job, and that's not true anymore in, in manufacturing. So much of it now is computer-driven and computer technology and programming. And anything that you touch, anything that's tangible to your touch, was manufactured somewhere, hopefully here in the United States. Um, we would like you to tune in Manufacturing Day. Go to manufacturingday.com, take a look at their website, If you're not going to host an event on the 3rd, that's okay. The whole month is an opportunity for you to host events. So please take a look at manufacturingday.com and schedule your event and plug it in there so people can see what's happening in manufacturing. Now, Linda, you have other things that you do with NAM, which I'm going to let you kind of highlight for our listeners, and we really appreciate what you're sharing on XM, but that's only part of it. So 
What are the other things that you do there at NAM? Well, thank you, Tim. You know, I, I think about, when I think about growing manufacturing through trade, there, there's three types of activities we tend to focus on. One is making sure that markets are open overseas, that we eliminate barriers. The second is making sure our manufacturers are cost-competitive um, globally, and that's where XM Bank, export credit financing comes in, export controls. Um, and then the last main issue is that, that all countries uh, play by the rules, including the United States. We've got international agreements. We've got um, rules of the road here in the United States, and we want everybody to play by those rules. But the issue that um, we're particularly focused on, in addition to XM Bank right now, is um, leveling that playing field. Uh, we found that where markets are open, U.S. manufacturers and manufacturers in the United States can really succeed. The United States has trade agreements with 20 uh, countries around the world. Those 20 countries purchase nearly 50% of our manufacturing exports, even though those countries represent about 6% of world population and less than 10% of GDP. So wow. when we have these trade agreements that eliminate their tariffs, eliminate other barriers and discriminatory practices, unfair practices overseas, they protect our intellectual property, we in the manufacturing sector can really succeed. Um, the United States is in two big negotiations right now in the Asia-Pacific and in Europe, but until we get this piece of legislation that's called Trade Promotion Authority done, it's really hard to see that we're going to be able to complete really good, comprehensive deals because we don't want just any deal, Tim, right? We want a deal that really eliminates tariffs, that opens up these foreign markets. And, um, you know, we've got, we, we've got a, a lot of issues over, overseas. So we're, you know, we're looking and, and um, working with Congress uh, and the administration to try to put in place this new trade promotion authority. So it, it basically takes, you know, the authority Congress has on, on trade, the president's authority to negotiate trade agreements, and forces them to work together, uh, puts out um, objectives, um, and from a manufacturing perspective, you know, we need the strongest possible rules to protect our intellectual property, our property that's invested overseas, um, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, deals with these unfair discriminatory barriers overseas. So, you know, that's an area where the United States, unfortunately, has fallen behind. Um, the United States uh, U.S. exporters face higher tariffs overseas than almost every major country, far higher than our friends in Mexico or China or Chile or every country of the European Union because our country hasn't negotiated as many, many of these trade agreements going forward. So we need to think about how to move that forward um, because if, if the United States is on the sidelines of new trade agreements, manufacturers are increasingly going to be less competitive in those markets. Uh, when China goes in and negotiates uh, a trade agreement in Asia and eliminates tariffs on its exports, that hurts manufacturers in the United States because we're still, our guys still have to pay that tariff when we try mm -hmm. to sell to those same markets. Well, I know that that is something that Lou ran across uh, regarding Brazil that trying to move a forging from the United States and selling it into Brazil, if a similar product is made in Brazil, the import tariff was astronomical. And 
that's a tough nut to, to crack. Is is Brazil a company that we have a trade agreement with or not? Uh, unfortunately, it's not. I mean, Brazil has some trade agreements out there, including uh, with Mexico, um, which makes it easier for Mexican exporters to ship to Brazil than it does for um, manufacturers in the United States. You know, Brazil is a huge market of, of opportunity for manufacturers, but we really would like to see the ability to move forward that type of reciprocal bilateral relationship with Brazil that we have with many other countries, these 20 other free trade agreement countries around the world. If we can get new trade promotion authority, um, you know, uh, we'll have to wait for the Brazilian elections. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. Luke can tell us what's going on. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I think that would be an area of, of substantial interest for manufacturers because I think there's a lot of economic partnerships between our two countries that have not been explored because we've fallen behind and and, and haven't put uh, the resources uh, into getting that type of trade agreement. Now, I know it's certainly helpful in trying to sell into Brazil if you have an agent in the country since Brazil speaks predominantly Portuguese and Spanish. Not a lot of English speakers there, so I know that that helps tremendously. Uh, And one of the things we haven't touched on for our listeners, and I'd like you to go into it a little bit, Linda, is www.nam.org. What what can our listeners find there? For instance, these 20 trade agreements, is there a list any place of those countries? Is that something they Google or something they can find at nam.org? They can find that at nam.org. So nam.org is um, our website for the National Association of Manufacturers. And if you go on there right now, you're going to see the top issues of the day scrolling uh, in our banner. We... um, put out a recent study uh, on the the cost of of regulations for manufacturers in the United States. Um, In fact, the the Exim Bank uh, piece is is just popping up on um, my ticker right now. But if you go into, say, and then we've got our policy issues, and I urge your listeners to go look at all those policy issues. But if you go into trade, you'll find our trade toolkit. And on our trade toolkit, you're going to find lots of background material. You're going to find some data. Uh, there's some nice charts and PowerPoints out there. But you, you see that list of the 20 countries. You can see where the U.S. is in terms of growing our exports. We've you know more than doubled our exports since 1990, but we've not. Uh, you know, we've not kept pace in terms of our market share overseas. In fact, we've lost uh, market share. Um, and you can see other issues out there. Um, and that's just the trade. That's just the trade toolkit. We've got a whole toolkit out there on XM Bank. Many of the other issues our manufacturers um, care about the the tax that we have. Uh, the tariff we have at the border uh, for manufacturing inputs that aren't available domestically and, and the work we're trying to do to correct those things. And then all the other issues that my colleagues here work on on the domestic side, you know, issues I'm sure your listeners care about from tax to labor to health to regulation to energy. Um, and there's a lot of information up there about what we're doing, what's going on, and, and we hope all your listeners will take a look. Well, we do, too. Again, that's www.nam.org, and I was just looking at that website when we bring it up, and there's the the Issues tab, and if you mouse over it, you get this drop-down, and there is the, one of those is Trade, and there's the Trade Toolkit. Uh, if you click on that link that Linda just spoke of, and the Export-Import Bank of the U.S. Uh, tab is there, so... 
it looks like there is just a vast amount of information here that our listeners certainly should explore for, I think, a couple of reasons. Uh, one is uh, export, and, and one, I think, uh, and you'll know better than I, Linda, is just doing business in America. Does, does NAM uh, help across, uh, uh, in, particularly in these, this regulation environment that's choking us to death? That is a top priority for uh, the NAM. We are, um, as I said, we just released a major new study last week in terms of the cost that regulations have on manufacturers uh, and the cost particularly on, on our small manufacturers. And we are, are using that to, to talk to members up on Capitol Hill, talk to the administration, trying to uh, be smart, right? We, we all want to make sure our products are safe and um, things are, are moving forward. But there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's ways to cut that regulatory cost, um, which really, you know, it ties into the work I do because, you know, the more costly it is to manufacture here in the United States, the less competitive we are globally, and we need to, to change that dynamic going forward. But, yeah, we, we have a full domestic-focused agenda on all of the issues. Um, you know, infrastructure is an area where NAM and manufacturers in general care a, a, a great deal. Um, I think we had a D-minus by the uh, Corps of Engineers in terms of U.S. infrastructure. We've got to figure out a way to, to grow infrastructure in the United United States in a smart way that's, that's going to enable our manufacturers to be more productive and more competitive. Well, Linda, we certainly want to thank you for being on the show today. You've shared a lot of really great information, and I think we've just scratched the surface. I, I, <laughs> I think there has to be a Linda Dempsey, too. Would you agree? I would absolutely love to come back. This has been, um, this is great. You have a great show, and um, you're really talking about the issues that I know manufacturers are looking at. Great. Well, we will certainly invite you back on the show, and we'll get in touch with you to say, you know, what are the hot topics and what can we talk about? We want to thank everyone for listening today. It's been an exciting show with Linda Dempsey from the National Association of Manufacturers. That's www.nam.org. And you can find this show if you are just catching a portion of it or you want to download it as a podcast at www.mfgtalkradio.com. And that's a wrap for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. When you use the Premier Rewards card from American Express, the rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit AXPGOLD.com. The annual fee for the card is $175. Key terms, conditions, and restrictions at AXPGOLD.com. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire.
Fortune to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the opportunities and challenges open to small to mid-sized enterprises to manufacture right here in America, or perhaps export to the rest of the world as we talked about today. With your hosts, Lou White and Tim Grady, brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group. talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Today's businesses are embracing voice over IP telephones and unified communication desktop technologies to more effectively communicate and collaborate with their customers, suppliers, and colleagues. The Reliatel management software from Tone Software Corporation helps organizations of all sizes manage their communications technologies to ensure great voice quality and better levels of service and reliability throughout their business. Reliatel, you'll gain higher return on investments from VoIP and Unified Communications Technologies while lowering the associated operational support and maintenance costs. Learn more. Visit www.tonesoft.com or call 800-833-8663 for information on Reliatel by Tone Software, the solution for quality business communications. Welcome, everybody. It's time for another installment of the OC Spotlight, where we look at some of the thought leaders, business leaders, and community leaders shaping our world here in Southern California. Today, we're privileged to have with us kind of a radical thinker in my mind, somebody I've been looking forward to for, since I read about him in Giz Mag Magazine, the online What's Cool Out There, Sir Alfred DeMora. Welcome. Thank you. I, I just want to say, Sir Alfred, that just sounds so cool to me here. You're a, you're a knight of Malta. Is that where you got the Sir nomination here? Yeah, that's correct. I did. Do you ever go to Malta? Or? I yeah, we're actually planning a trip for uh, this summer to go back to Malta again. So, Amazing. Yeah. What is Malta like? I've never even been. I, obviously, I've never been to Malta. I know it's just an island in the uh, Mediterranean here, and stood the, stood against the Germans in World War II in a famous standoff, and it's about all I know of Malta and the Knights of Malta. Well, the, the, the coastline there in uh, Mafia is just unbelievable. You have to go and see it for yourself. It's, it's something to go see. Okay. Well, I expect you to send pictures back to us so we can post them up on the Internet here. Okay. All right. So let's talk about what you have done in the past. Give us a, give us a quick summary, if, if that's possible, of your work in the automobile industry here. 
Well, that that's, uh, that that could take about two hours, right? <laughs> two days or three days. But anyways, uh, I started off, uh, you know, just loving cars when I was a young man. We went from those little HO cars that you drive around oh, the track. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you remember that. Of course, you have to be in our age group, right? Yes, right. But uh, men of a certain age, as they say. Yeah, in exactly. So, and, and I just fall in love with cars. You know, I think that you you you're passionate about cars. You This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.